carnivorous cow. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous cows with Brady and Rob. Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. Hello there, this uh, is Rob. Hi. Oh, that's sorry, I stepped on your line. That's all right. We You're have fine. lines, we have a script here. We do. Totally. We didn't look up a scene. Oh, no. Well, we'll just pause. Yeah, we'll just Point pause. time. I mean, normally we'd try to do this bitch, but not this case this time. At any rate, um, um, things. Brady? Yeah, uh, yes. What do we watch? We watched Ghostbusters from 1984, uh directed by Ivan Reitman. Um father of Jason Reitman, uh director of Juno and Up in the Air and other films. But this is Ivan Reitman. And uh yeah, he was uh, uh he did other stuff, Rob. Actually, I, my film knowledge fails me here. Do you remember what else Ivan Reitman did? No, I kind of just looked up stuff about this film. Okay, well, we'll have to look into that and come up with some answers later. But, yeah. I assume he did Ghostbusters too. Who wants to synopsize <laughs> the most well-known movie of the 1980s? Well, for some production notes, this movie is shot in 35mm, but most of the effects were shot on 65mm, which actually made optical printing pretty difficult uh, for the people in the thing. Don't worry about it. Brady's eating chips, everybody. You're going to hear that, and you're going to get hungry yourselves. I'm not. And they were about uh, $700,000 over budget on the special effects, but Ivan Reitman said he worked that out. That was about his explanation of that. Um, anyway, yeah, those are some film production notes, because I'm geeky, and I'm into those. Um, okay, I can synopsize. Go. Okay, so we open with a library. And the library, something spooky is happening, like, uh, you know, synthesizer music. Orchestral with synthesizers. It definitely dates this to the 80s. Um, but, yeah, so that kind of stuff is happening, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And this library gets the, the pants freaked out of her, and then scene two is, um... Is, um... Let me see, Peter Vakeman, who's a psychology dude. He's, um... Uh, doing this test where he shocks people. It's probably a play on that, that famous Harvard test where they would shock people if they answered questions wrong, testing for stuff. They used to give them LSD and do that. Actually, that's how uh, Ted Kaczynski got created. He was one of those guys, and then he bombed a bunch of people and became Unabomber. Um, anyway. <laughs> Went on to big things. Yes. So he's obviously flubbing the test, doesn't give a fuck about the results because, you know, uh, theoretically, one of the women is supposed to be really hot. I mean, but it's like the typical 80s hotness. So I don't find that really attractive. It looks too much like my mom. I like the the very voluminous hair. Yeah, vol voluminous helmet hair blonde lady. Anyway, so she gets all the answers right, even though she's not. And the other guy gets all the answers wrong, and he gets fed up. And then uh, basically Vakeman and Ray get fired but before they get fired, they go to the library to check out the whole thing, and then they get the pants scared off of them by the free floating uh, apparitional full torso apparition. Um, uh, Egon Spangler we're also introduced to, as well as Ray. Uh, Egon is into collecting stuff like... Spores. Mold spores and fungus. We learn that later, but he collects the ectoplasm that's left behind by this paranormal activity. Anyway, after that, they're fired. Then... Um, they don't know what they're going to do, so the two guys talk, well, actually, probably just Peter Vakeman talks Ray into, um, mortgaging his house, putting a third mortgage on his house, to which Egon says will be $90,000 in interest over the first year alone, um, and let me see, uh, it was like 19% or something, crazy, very much, uh, like, uh, 2000s, this movie. At any rate, um, and I'll draw attention to that more later. Um, uh, so then what happens? Uh, they do that. They buy a firehouse station or put a lease down. And uh, old fire station 
and then they buy a car for $4,800, which would be a far stretch for me to buy a car now, like 32 years later. Um, and it, it needs everything done to it, basically. So, Brady, why don't you take it from here? Uh, what else? They, they get an assistant named Gina. Oh, yes. No, Janine. Jan- oh, Janine. Yeah, played yeah, by uh, uh, Annie Potts, who is by far the, the hottest lady in this, this film. I don't know why Sigourney Weaver is supposed to be like the babe, because Annie Potts is still hot, and she's twice my age. Yeah. Uh, what else? She's Annie Potts is the Janine. Bo Peep in Toy yeah. Story. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um Anyway, yeah, Janine is an assistant, and she's very deadpan, and Peter tells her, just type something, because we're paying for you. And so, eventually, the Ghostbusters get another case at a fancy hotel, and... uh, Well, first they meet Dana. Oh, first they meet Dana. We haven't met Dana yet. Uh, (laughs) Played by Sigourney Weaver. And she's supposed to be the babe. Uh, Yeah, and she's supposed to be the babe now, with the big hair. Babes, always with big hair. Janine, not the babe, because she has short hair. Except maybe for Egon. Yeah. She's the babe for Egon. Well, no, Egon's not into her. He collects mold spores and fungus. Oh. Anyway, so we have Dana. Dana has this whole thing that goes crazy, and then she sees the ad. There's, She's got a gozer in her refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, some eggs fry on the counter, and mm-hmm. a bunch of cool practical effects happen. A dog demon and a dog portal demon, to yeah. a, a nether realm. So she goes and sees the Ghostbusters. And scariest of all, oh. Rick Moranis living next door. Oh, yes, that's true. As a, a, well, a well-meaning uh, but socially awkward accountant. Yes, who's, tax He's accountant. throwing a party. You should uh, come by his party. You should come by. He invites clients uh, instead of uh, friends because you can make it a tax write-off, which kind of defeats the purpose of throwing a party, which is something else I'll get into later in my believing of what this movie is all about. It's a deeper meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's so funny, because this is like the kind of movie that I feel Shouldn't like have doesn't deeper have a meaning. deeper meaning subscribed to well, it. we're going to make one. And we're both going <laughs> to we're both gonna pick apart this beautiful Blossom of an 80s comedy. Yeah. So there's nothing left. She goes and sees the Ghostbusters. Then Peter checks out her apartment. She's like, this guy's a creep. And he's being kind of like zany and goofy. And she's like, please leave. And then like he keeps like sticking his face back in the door. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's playful. But like if that were to be in a movie nowadays, people would be like, this guy's being really threatening. And I feel microaggressed by just having watched Bill Murray on the screen. Um, I think that would be the reaction today's. Nowadays. Actually, watching this a year ago with the girls, I think that's what they said, pretty much. Um. Yeah. So then they go to the hotel, because there's actually a ghost. Then they zap it and put it in this little containment thing. And then, after this happens... Not just any ghost, it's Slimer. Yeah, it's From your high sea box, if you grew up in the 80s. Oh, yes. Yeah. Actually, I did not know that this was a movie before it was a TV show when I was a kid. And I didn't see this movie until I was walking through Target and there was a video and I was like, Ghostbusters! And my dad was like, hmm, and picked it up and bought it, which was very nice of him because it was probably like 30 bucks back then for a video cassette in like 1989. Yeah, I, I actually don't know. Yeah, yeah, home video was pretty expensive when it was first coming out and becoming popular. I mean, it first came out in the, the mid-70s, but it didn't really become a real consumer item until the early 80s and then that's when the ancillary market was really born you gotta get you a laser disc that's the way to go oh yeah well those were out around then too laser dicks are <laughs> laser dicks are badass <laughs> laser dick <laughs> at any rate James Bond in um so they go to the hotel and then they proceed to destroy the hotel blasting this ghost and that's pretty funny uh, but, uh, they do get the ghosts, and then after that, all sorts of stuff starts happening, and there's a lot of ghosts, and they become minor celebrities, and... Yeah, business, business is picking is booming, up. and then they hire, uh, Ernie Hudson, who's, uh, Winston, and then this, uh, this dude comes by, and he goes like, Hey, uh, what's up, uh, dude? Uh, we also have a third guest, which is Pogue, and he's maybe going to chew on some of my wires, which would be bad. He's a tiny dog, but I'm watching him. Okay. Um... Yeah, tiny, chewy dog. At any rate, uh, business is booming and everything. Vakeman's still kind of, like, flirting with Sigourney Weaver because now she's actually thinks he's legit because, you know, business is booming. They're making newspaper headlines and blah, blah, blah. But they're also worn out. And then at this point, uh, this guy, uh, what's his name? Peterman? I forget what his name is. It's Peck. 
Peck. Walter Peck, yes. Not played, Pecker. Peck. Played, right. Played by uh, William Atherton, who's superb at playing a dick. I've seen him in other movies where he's a dick as well. Um, but he's just a little weaseling uh, EPA agent. He goes like, I'm going to shut you down if you don't blah, blah, blah. He's like, you come back with a court order. So uh, after a certain amount of time, he does come back with a court order. Uh, this is as they're finding out there's more and more, like, psychokinetic uh, energy. And um, they're like, this is kind of freaking us out. This, You know, it, business is good, but there probably shouldn't be this much shit going on. And so he comes back and shuts down their containment unit when he does get a court order. And then they get sent to jail because it causes a big explosion. And they're like, no, dude, if you didn't shut down the shit, then this wouldn't have happened. It would have been a big, big deal. But uh, then they convince the... Um, the uh, the mayor to come talk to them and blah 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 because they're the only ones who knows what's going on. People are seeing like bleeding walls in the 19th precinct, like police office and all this kind of stuff. And it turns out that that whole apartment building that Dana's in with Louis Tolley uh, is actually like a big giant antenna that was created to bring around the end of the world. Am I skipping who, something, Brady? Uh, well, no, who's Louis Tolley? Louis Tolley is the Rick Moranis character. Oh, that's his next name. Doors. That is that's, his name. He's got a name. He's got a full name. He's a named character. He's got a first and last name. Uh, Dana. Sad credit. Is it Dana Bryant? Dana Bryant? Oh. Uh, what's her last name? Dana. That sounds right. But wait, no. Dana Bryant might be an actual person in the real world. I don't know. Oh. I think it's Dana Bryant. Dana can't remember Dana's last name at the moment, but Dana Daly. Yeah. Sorry, I remember Rick Moranis' bit part character, full name character, and because he's a male, I remember his, but because Sigourney Weaver is not, I don't uh, don't remember hers because patriarchy. When she gets turned into a dog, does she still get to be Dana? No, there is no Dana. There is only Zool. Yes, Zool is the thing that she saw in her fridge. Anyway, this... Apartment building's a giant magnet, and it's gonna do a bunch of shit. And then, so they let the Ghostbusters out of prison because, of course, if the mayor lets them do that, then he would hate Pogue, uh, save the um, lives of millions of registered voters. You just scoop them up and get them out of there. Um, yeah, he's he's over by the server. <laughs> it's not the uh, best place for a doge. Um, so at any rate, then they save the day. <laughs> Brady, you want to elaborate the... on how they saved the day? Um, how? Lasers? Now, uh, you know, uh, the unlicensed god, particle accelerators. The god creature, what have you, comes through the portal. Dana, who has been possessed by Zool, gets turned into a dog. Then the god, whatever deity says, anything you think of will be the you know very polite, really. Like we'll let you choose, we'll let you choose the form of what destroys the city, uh, and so Peter says, "Everyone, clear your minds. Don't think of anything." And then poor Ray, played by Dan Aykroyd, does his best, but is, is tries to think of something benign and thinks of a marshmallow mascot. And you all know this because everyone's goddamn seen Ghostbusters. But a giant marshmallow mascot rampages through the city. Until they fry it, uh, which good thinking at least on Ray's part to pick something roastable as the villain. Um, yeah, and it looks a lot like the Michelin Man. Yeah, he does look like the Michelin Man. Now that's curious. I wonder if that if he was, was made like, out of tires, then he would just never stop burning when they <laughs> fried him. That would be a problem. <laughs> just an everlasting fire. <laughs> just walking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up! You were torched like like days ago. And just let the movie end. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so at any rate, uh, that's pretty much. I mean, we all know the plot. I tried to keep it short. Looks like we got it done in twelve minutes. Uh, we go on to the next segment, right? Yeah, Dana lives. That's yeah. good. Well, can never It happens once a week. It's one. Really batting a thousand lately with these freaking drops. Ah. Swing. Swing bada bada. Hey, 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 how do we like it? There we go. That's the one. How do we like it? That's that's what we want to know. Brady, how do you like this movie? Uh, you know, I I like it um quite a bit. I like it a lot. Um it's a it's a very good comedy. I think when we get into what's it all about, I'll talk more about 
what a strange kind of comedy it is. In some ways, its form is the form of something I wouldn't uh, necessarily like. You know, I'm not that big into like cheesy 80s movies. As you say, some of the touches in this are dated. Uh, but as I'll get into more, I think it in a way kind of transcends its 80s trappings. I mean, the, the very fact that it's made in the 80s and is kind of this cheesy big budget blockbuster is kind of the challenge it sets for itself. And I think the only reason we're here talking about Ghostbusters today is that it distinguishes itself by the very thing that should have limited it. And, you know, uh, yeah, and it's so funny. That's the big thing. You know, what's the old line? Comedy saves all. Like, if you're funny, um, that matters more than anything because comedy is hard to do. And, yeah, a, a great comedy does kind of transcend whatever limitations of the genre it's in or anything else. So, yeah, I like it a lot. I think I'm going to give it the Bay Planus. Excellent. I'm, I'm going to give it a B plus to start off. This is uh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's actually my second favorite movie. My favorite movie being Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, I'm going to try to say more about this movie than I had to say about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Because the thing is, movies that have a problem, usually there's a lot more to say about than movies that don't. Like, I'm sure if we did Godfather on this podcast, it'd be hard to say a whole lot. Because it's like, yeah, it's the Godfather. It's great. Everybody fucking loves it. But you could say a lot about The Godfather because it has, like, rich it's long. themes. There's a lot of shit. There's a lot of thematic cap. The problem with a movie like Ghostbusters uh, and the other challenge in and what's it all about. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, yeah, and maybe Who Framed Roger Rabbit, too. That was is, mostly what I was saying. It was hard to do with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This, I feel, is easier. But, all right. But, but we'll find out, I guess, if my what's it all about is, like, 30 seconds long. All have been then wrong. Know. <laughs> yes. Um, um... Uh, so yeah, B-plus for me, um, the things I like about this movie, much the reason I liked My Cousin Vinny, which is because it's got a good, like, solid three-act structure, which is something we've gone away from in modern filmmaking. I think we're kind of coming back to it, but, you know, people try to be avant-garde and floaty and make the plot and not fit it into a canned thing. This is very, let's introduce the characters, let's introduce the conflict, let's resolve the conflict, you know, very simple yeah, no, three-act structure, which... It's comforting uh, being somebody who grew up where every movie was like that. It's also another example of like a high concept movie. You know, the little ghost buster, little ghost with the the red slash through it in the circle, being the uh, and the song and it, it just all being a concentrated marketing theme. And it was a, you know, it was a comedic blockbuster, probably one of the first comedic blockbusters at, of its time. I think, like most of most of them didn't have this big a special effects. Unless there were going to be, you know, freaking serious-ish movies. You know, Back right. to the Future came out the next year, and it was very much like this. I mean, you'd had Indiana Jones at the beginning of the decade. Yeah, but I mean, Indiana Jones, I would hardly say is a comedy. That's action-adventure. It's action more like, adventure. yeah, romancing the stone type of adventure. Uh, for some reason, Indiana Jones, romancing the stone, and flashback, the, uh, the Atari game, all fit together in my head in the same way for whatever reason. And yeah, nice. it's like a, an alternate universe. Yeah, well, I mean, there's vines, I think, in all of them. Vines. And I think hats. And uh, maybe an open-collared dress shirt that's sweaty. Um, and jungle. All those things. At any rate, uh, so yeah, I'll give it a big blush uh, there. Okay, cool. So we're moving right along here. Should we go do understudy? Should we do metacritical? Should we talk a little, do what's it all about? Or uh, Let's take a break for understudy. Okay, we'll do that. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to guess the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now Damn, where is that kid? Damn, damn, damn You're late, do you have no concept of time? Hey, come on, I had to change. You think I'm going back in that there, uh, zoot suit? The old man really, uh, came through. It worked. What? 
Uh, he laid uh, Biff out in one punch. I uh, never knew he had an enemy. He uh, stood up to Biff and he never, been, uh, he never stood up to Biff in his life. Never? Uh, no, no, no. Why? What, what's the matter? All right. Let's set your destination time. This is the exact time you left. I'm going to send you back at exactly the same time. It'll be like you never left. Now, I painted a white line on the street way over there. That's where you start from. I've calculated the distance and wind resistance fresh to active from the moment the lightning strikes at exactly 7 minutes and 22 seconds. When this alarm goes off, you hit the gas. Hey. Well, I guess that's everything. Thanks. Thank you. In about 30 years. Eh, uh, I hope so. Don't worry. As long as you hit that wire with the connecting hook at precisely 88 miles per hour, the instant the lightning strikes the tower, everything will be fine. Right. What's uh, the meaning of this? Uh, you found out in 30 years. It's about the future, isn't it? Uh, wait a minute. It's the information about the future, isn't it? I warned you about this, kid. The consequences could be disastrous. Uh, no, that's a risk you're going to have to take. Your life depends on it. No, I refuse to accept the responsibility. Alright, that was understudy. Uh, that's the one where we do voices that aren't ours, uh, and aren't the people in the scene, uh, and then you all guess what movie, what voices, yeah, that's it, and, uh, that's the ticket, and, Bark. and the prize is, uh, if you guess that, like you tweeted to us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch, Carney Couch on Twitter, um, we will do a movie of your choosing. Now, you could really screw us with this, or you could really grace us with this. Either way, the choice is up to you. We're fine with either. Yes. So, uh, the next segment of the show is... What's it all about? What's it all about? Who's going first? What's it all about? What's it all about? He fucked me right, I take his ass to Red Lobster. <laughs> uh, you heard about that. Beyonce line actually like boosting her uh, Red Lobster sales by thirty three percent over the course of a week, right? <laughs> I think you told me. I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, I mean that's the new form of marketing. There was like a country song where somebody was talking about Coors and it got played at like a football game or something, and then Coors had a spike in sales for a little bit. New marketing, man. New marketing. Okay, what is this all about, Brady? Do you want to go first, or should I? Um. I guess I went first on the first one, so I'll just go first again. What's it all about to me? This is one of those movies. We do them from time to time where, uh, as I think I said in a recent review, certain movies, a thorough thematic unpacking is not is not really what the movie is asking for. Uh, I like to dig deep into movies. We hope our audience is the kind of people who like to watch a movie that you can talk about. But some movies are kind of just to be enjoyed uh, on their surface level aspects. Ghostbusters is probably closer to one of these. But in that regard, I think I can say what it's about on a meta level. And to me, it's Ghostbusters is uh, a textbook in how to take a kind of disposable piece of blockbuster popular art and to basically save it by ruining it. Uh, And the main person who does this is Bill Murray, who may be the laziest scientist you'll ever see in moviedom. Just just the classic line. One of the funniest lines is just him saying he's a scientist when he he scarcely seems to believe it himself. Like, back off, man. I'm a scientist, man. I'm a scientist. (laughs) Or just... The thing I love is just how lazily the word gozer drips out of his mouth. Like, any time he has to describe anything involving the sci-fi aspects, the goofy sci-fi of this plot, uh, the analogy I wrote down is basically if Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis are in a class and they've convinced their teacher to let them do a class presentation on Dungeons & Dragons, the teacher basically said, all right, but only if you let wise-ass Bill Murray, who's stoned in the back of the class, do the presentation with you. And in my opinion, to the movie's great benefit, 
uh, Murray's kind of dry eye rolls at these lines take what could have been a disposable sci-fi action comedy and actually make it something really memorable because he's so underplaying them. Well, they actually point directly to it when they're in the prison scene where he goes like, Ray, just pretend for a moment that I don't know anything about metallurgy or science or engineering and explain to me what the hell is going on. (laughs) Which, I mean, is basically just a way of going, he's going off on this whole thing for the audience, who doesn't give a fuck, Here's what here's the plot point needed necessarily to uh, be described. Yeah, and but maybe it sounds like I'm slagging the movie a bit, which is kind of incongruous with the fact that I give it a Bay Planus, but we'll talk about it more. I think this is a really special mixture of uh, That's not a Bay Planus. Wait, when you say Bay Planus, it's a B plus A minus. Oh, I thought it was a B minus. No, no, I gave it a Bay Planus. I'm oh, I'm I, slightly you, higher than you. Yeah, oh, okay. What well, this thing needs to be reckoned with. It's a classic for a reason. It traffics in like kind of 80s cheesiness and yet it's genuinely funny. And I think it's because, yeah, by having, when you have, uh, it's not as simple as just like Bill Murray is making fun of these lines because the movie plays it seriously too. And so like it gets to have its cake and eat it too because let's take Dan Aykroyd who's just completely straight facedly playing the enthusiasm of rage. It's like, no, this is really serious, guys. There's like a serious, this goes back to ancient Sumeria and blah, blah, blah. And you have, on the other end, Bill Murray selling everything with this dryness. And I guess you kind of have Egon, uh, Harold Ramis, rest in peace, uh, kind of in between them. He's kind of like Ray in that he's very serious about the science, but he's kind of a grumbly guy. So, yeah, it's th- this is a special case in how to take what, in my opinion, could have been a very average uh sci-fi ghost story i don't think anything about the plot is very special until you inject all this great comedy and different comedic approaches to boot to it so yeah we'll we'll get more into that but yeah it's it's a really weird special beast well i mean what i think that this movie is all about and this is this is my deeper meaning that i'm reaching for to create i read some notes on it here but um basically this is when i was getting close to it Ah, yes. Okay, so I think that it is about um, the failing of the corporate lifestyle and um, how it's uh, creating the downfall of the world. I mean, you look at Louis Tolley, lives right next to Dana Bryant, um, <laughs> and he wants to date her, but she doesn't want to date anybody. She's just into her shit. And then, like, Peter Vakeman wants to date her, and then, like, he's just, she's just into her shit. And then, like... Janine wants to date Egon, but he's just into his shit. And, like, everybody's all, um, you know, even Lewis invites not friends to his party. He invites, uh, he invites clients because it's cheaper. Because he's all just, like, everybody's into this money, corporate, all this kind of shit. And everybody's ignoring all the bad energy that's going out there. I mean, there's this giant increase in, um, uh, kinetic, uh, energy. Uh, what is it? Uh, psychokinetic energy. That's the stuff. And uh, it's very negative, and I mean, it's interesting because there's a lot of people, you know, Janine is like, I've quit better jobs than this, and blah, 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 but it's very clear that she needs her job, even though she's unhappy that she's being overworked, and like, you know, Ernie Hudson, when he's applying, is like, look, I'll, I'll say whatever you want, just hire me, because I need, you know, so there's people out there suffering. I mean, even when Lewis totally turns into, like, a bear, or is being chased by a bear, and then, like, gets, you know, grabbed by... Uh, the Gozer Bear agent, uh, what I mean by agent is not like a secret agent, but I mean like an agent of Gozer. Right? Gozer Bear agent sounds like a punk band. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. I mean, like for instance, if you or your agent goes to a place, they can pick up a packet. As long as they're agent of you, they're they're able to act on your behalf. Like so a bear agent, yeah. Gozer is there. <laughs> exactly. So, but I mean like, he gets uh, possessed by, and like, you know, we don't know what really happens because basically the bear growls at him and then he goes, and everybody looks at him for a second and then they just turn away and go back to their eating. And I think in this like subtle, and it probably wasn't intentional. They were probably just imitating society as it was at that point in time. It wasn't supposed to be some subtle commentary, but it does kind of in its datedness have that is. You know, everybody's into their corporate shit. They're into their fancy restaurant. They're into their throwing a party for the sake of throwing a party. And 
Um, nobody's really getting together, and the only thing that saves the city when all this shit goes bad, and they, the mayor and the police and the EPA and all these people do need to reckon with all the negative energy that's out there, is the whole city getting together and cheering the Ghostbusters on so they can blow away the fucking Marshmallow Man. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like the new stage of fear. Everybody fear the corporatocracy, uh, because we're done fearing the uh, the Cold War because the Cold War is drawing to an end. Um, so that's what I think it's about. Uh, I did write a quote about the corporatocracy here. Is it here? Blah, blah, blah. And there's another movie. Uh, there are other movies that kind of came up with this world destruction capitalism stuff around the same time. Down of the Living Dead was in 1978 or 79, but that was kind of the shopping mall sort of thing. Just like, look, where are the shopping mall? They all want to be here. And then there, at the same thing, there was Night of the Comet, where a comet wipes out most of the civilization, but then Valley Girls, hey, perfect, you know, voluminous hair uh, uh, symbol of, of uh, capitalism, they have to fight off all the scumbags that are left. Do they? Yeah. How does it go? I don't know. I want to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> 1984's Night of the Comet. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, uh, and then also, the destructor, the, the symbol that's chosen to be the destructor, is uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, which is a bastardization of love and community and family uh, that's a corporate mascot. It's, uh, you know, that's what the corporatocracy has done, man. It's created, like, you know, this fun-loving, uh, this fun-loving spirit of roasting marshmallows and all that stuff, but, you know, it's really just about making money. So, Interesting. So that's what I think that this, this movie is all about. All right, let me let me prod you with some questioning here. What about though the fact that a lot of this evil is ancient and primordial, and not of its uh, greedy '80s time period, but but well, from far beyond? Well, yeah, but it, like Mesopotamian gods and stuff like that. But the thing is, is that the guy who built the thing built it in like the eighteen. Uh, 18- Hundreds or something like that. So that was around, you know, maybe it was like a hundred years early. And then yeah. he started doing all sorts of crazy shit and blah, blah, blah. Because, and there's a direct quote that they said is that the reason that guy was doing that, and maybe this was another period just like this one, you know, with the corporatocracy and the, the wanting to make money and the not wanting to be a lovely community, being in a big city, you know, building a fucking hundred story high apartment building or 50 stories high so everybody can live squashing in their little cubes. Right, right, like and very presumptive because who knows what ancient evil exists before you, but you just think you're the center of the world because it's the 80s, man. Yeah, right, but I mean, like, this, say this was in the 1880s because I don't remember when it was, but they said that he was trying to bring around the end of the world because this this civilization was so corrupt that it could not go on existing. Okay, so it's about a corrupt civilization. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's what the guy was doing, man. All right, well, that's a, that's a very substantive reading into this movie, Rob. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I thought it was pretty that. good. Well, to, to be clear, let's. I'd like to kind of underline our twin approaches here. Rob has actually found something, I think, very thoughtful and substantive um, and very tied to the 1980s decade and yet aware of it, too, uh, which is interesting because I agree. This is a movie that is more aware than most 80s movies that it's in the 80s, like, this movie, I feel like, already sees, like, is aware of how it might be perceived in decades to come, that it's not always going to be like this. Yeah, like Jennifer Runyon's voluminous hair was, was to be noted. It's noteworthy. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the student from the beginning. It is Her so noted. Jennifer uh, Runyon. Would you take and and the that? male student who was getting shocked, he was also in Christine. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he was just a guy got killed. I think but wait, wait, okay, so something. to continue my thought... Rob is going substantive, and I appreciate his point. My what's it all about, on the other hand, is kind of on the opposite end. I'm saying that this is so very not a substantive work that its substance comes from its willingness to kind of dance stylistically with itself, to to take weird elements like Bill Murray barely showing up for this thing, and yet it's perfectly balanced with sincerity one thing I made a note of is I feel like this rips a hole in the sincerity, sarcasm, like time space continuum. Like it's so both at the same time. Like it's, it's making fun of itself and yet it's, it's totally committed too. if you want to just watch like 
a cool sci-fi movie about ghosts. It's that. Yeah, it's got great effects. If you want to make fun of that movie, five million on the effects. Yeah, it ended up spending five fifty five point seven million. Yeah, and that's neat. It it makes it like a timeless time capsule. Yeah, if it was just going to be a comedy. Uh, they wouldn't put all that production value into it. It was a blockbuster, even though it was a comedy. I mean, very much like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, my favorite film. This is my second favorite. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was very much the same way. There was all the co- comedic elements and all that kind of stuff going on, and they took the effort to put in all the effects to make it, like, legit and real, and, yeah. Like, I feel like uh, Zemeckis and what Ivan Reitman have done with... Uh, what Zemeckis did with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and what Ivan Reitman has done with this is create... Like, you know, that's the formula for timeless. Like, you want to make a timeless movie that that you could watch anytime. You know, do a lot of effects, do them very well. Uh, make sure it's funny, but then also have a very serious plotline. And I think maybe the way it was so disjointed was um, Dan Aykroyd wrote this script, and he wrote like a hundred seventy-five page script. <laughs> so that means the movie was originally twice as long as this. And they kind of went like, there's no way we can shoot this script. Uh, this is insane. So I think they just took a couple of his jokes and then kept all the substance stuff because probably the other, you know, uh, 90 pages were just jokes. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, because, yeah, he was going to do something much more high concept with time travel. and But see, that's the thing. I feel like I do appreciate how much effort this puts into being a sci-fi movie. But I think if you just do this as a sci-fi movie, it's nothing super special. It's just a standard end of the world kind of plot with some, you know, doomsday and some possessions thrown in. And it almost feels like this thing would have been so basic. And yet it's so basic that these guys were smart enough to know, like, you know what? Let's just play around with this thing. Like, so if it was like a basic omelet, like they're just like, fuck it, spray sriracha all over it. Put some bacon on that too. Just... Because, like, who cares? Like, let's let's just be playful. Uh, and they end up with this perfect kind of, like, stoner's hangover breakfast of different <laughs> elements. Very well put. It's like, wow, that shouldn't work, but it's fucking delicious, dude. Try this. Yeah, oh my I God. mean, something else to be said is, like, also during this, uh, during the time period of, eh, let's say, later mid-70s to, um, you know, late-80s, we entered the time very much like the 2000s, uh, you know, like the 2000 to 2015 period, where you do have a lot more movies that are centered around end of the world sort of situations, like you Marvel. Know, yeah, the zombie. Th- yeah, I mean, well, let's start with the stuff from the 80s first. I mean, like, but the dredging back up Romero's zombie situation, right? That's a that's an end of the world sort of thing going on. There was earthquake and. That was like 75 or something like that. that right. That was a big deal. Well, I'll stand up for the Romero stuff, though. That's like much more thoughtful than your uh, Poseidon Adventure stuff. Right, but what I'm saying stuff. is the, the the themes of like the end of the world, like these destruction things, and like that we all have to unite and go go back to overcome it. You know, this, right. it's like there's the post-war movies, which are all like film noir. It's like, who are we? Uh, I don't know. Jacob's Ladder, that kind of shit. And then there's like... Uh, also, this whole we have to join together and like stop being so separate and and the, overcome this end of the world thing. And then when you get to the 2000s, you start to have the you know like your 2012. In the 90s, you had your Armageddon. I mean, this is basically a whole genre of film is is uh, the world's gonna end. There's a crackpot of four or five guys, and uh, there's some jokes said, but then there's also them saving the world. So there you go. Yeah, true. We're gonna do it again in 1992. Even Wait though eight years. The, we'll be th- broke. the other word about Ghostbusters I haven't quite used yet, though, is like it's also very much your Emperor's New Groove style hangout movie. And in a way, I don't think ever, even as a kid while watching this, um, that I ever thought the world really was going to end. And that's, you know, that's that element of the movie not taking itself that seriously, of Bill Murray injecting this kind of eye rolling, just like, yeah, this this is the crazy plot thing into it. Um, so it's weird because it's like, I mean, this is where, let me just say, I think this works much better as a comedy than as a sci-fi movie. Um, and what's memorable about it tends to be its comedic lines. Like, 
It's true. This man has no dick. That is my favorite line in the movie, by the I way. I think it's the best line. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just got such great timing. It's just like, yeah, and everything was fine until Dickless here turned off the power. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> Get him out of here. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to send you a fruit basket. I'm going to miss him. And the other thing about this movie is it can be aired on TV with basically, I think the only word they had to cut, and I don't think they have to cut this nowadays, but when I saw it on TV when I was a kid, uh, they cut bitch because mm. they couldn't say bitch, but nowadays you don't have to cut bitch, I don't think. I think you can say that. I don't that. think so. Yeah, as long as it's after eight or something like that. But, um, so yeah, like, he doesn't say motherfucker, he says mother pus bucket, and I wonder if they looped that. I wonder if he said motherfucker. And then they went like, uh, we want to get a PG rating here, Bill, so I'm going to change that. All right, but I'm going to say it really sarcastically. <laughs> Mother pus bucket. <laughs> the other kind of like sarcastic, like ridiculously self-aware thing is like Bill Murray's kind of just like, the entire time he's just kind of implying that science is the most pussy rich profession ever. Like if I think if you asked Peter, like, so... Egon and Ray seem really into this science stuff. You don't seem as into it. Why did you become like, you know, man, just for the tail? Uh, <laughs> scientists are just always getting the great tail. It's like, I don't even know if that's true, but he makes it seem like a goddamn afterthought. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't seem like a science scientist. Yeah, they're all pretty stiff. <laughs> just like, so why are you doing it? Well, you know, if I the do chicks, it. man. Yeah, exactly. I can get all the chicks that all these guys aren't interested in getting. It's <laughs> true. The jinx. The jinx. Teddy sprinkles. <laughs> okay, I think we're devolving into uh, just making jokes now, so maybe we should go do Metacritical? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Okay. Let me hit the right. Rob's never gonna win. A Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical, yeah, it's time, time to play. Okay, everybody, welcome to Metacritical. It's the game where we try to guess the Metacritic score of movies, five of them to be exact, and uh, whoever has the cumulative score of being closest. Uh, Brady got fucking negative. Okay, so here's what it is. is you're always away. I mean, not always. Uh, okay. So, the whole thing is that you're supposed to guess what the fucking score is. And we keep score by adding up the total numbers you're off. So, if the actual score is 75 and I say 73, I'm too off. Yeah. So, you can play along at home. I mean, now that I've explained the rules. The other uh, 22 times we've done this game... You couldn't, because I didn't tell you how we were going to play it before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just had this nebulous idea. I'm like, yeah, they're just like screaming numbers. And then <laughs> and then it usually ends with Rob telling Brady to fuck himself. And <laughs> it's, it's a weird game. It's very odd. Uh, we're going to have to do like some other games sometimes. Like, Remember we used to, we tried to do that thing, Soundtracks, where I, I collected a bunch of soundtracks <laughs> and then made people try to guess which movies they were. And then and they would all be themed, but it, I mean, it just required. I mean, we don't really prepare, <laughs> so it required too much preparation. Basically, we released one where like we were both really <laughs> drunk, and then I just kept playing them, and you didn't know them. That's right, I remember that. Uh, yeah, it was like, oh, I'm just gonna keep playing soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was bonus content. It's in the bonus content section. We haven't re released much bonus content for a while, so. It'd be like I play Beast of the Southern Wild and like, alien. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, what movie should we start with? Bill Murray. And, okay, let's go with Groundhog Day. Do you know it off the top of your head? No. It's pretty it's, old, it's but I think. But I think it'll probably have enough ratings. I think it's, I mean, it's the Dalai Lama's favorite movie. It's probably my mm -hmm. third favorite movie. It's a That's right, Dalai movie. Lama. I'm more into movies than you are. You're into enlightenment. Stupid. Yeah. Get it together, Lama. Wait, wait. What sound does a Lama make? Uh, no. 
<laughs> hey, Lama, how about something for the effort? Is there'll be no money, but a movie you make in 93 will become my favorite movie. <laughs> so I got that going for me. <laughs> uh, why are you so much funnier than me today? This isn't fair. I better drink more. It must be the coffee. Mm. So, all right. So we're Brand hoping that Metacritic has some record of yeah, Groundhog I'm gonna, Day. Yeah, I'm going to go with... Fuck. <laughs> I'm going to go with, with 82. Okay, I'll go with... Let me go 78. 78 says Brady. 82 says Rob. It's pretty close together. So if it's higher, I... I, I just, just bitching. Uh, what a, a Groundhog Day. The Groundhog must die. And I'm going to kill him. 72. 72, yeah. Now this is like the mother of all slept on movies in its day. Even Ebert, like, did a mea culpa years later where he's like, yeah, it's three stars, it's fine. And then he later put it into his great movies pantheon. Right, and he was like, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was listening to something. All right, uh, let's go, let's just follow Bill Murray movies. Uh, Broken Flowers. We did this very, we did this very recently. Uh, okay, let's not follow, uh... <laughs> let's not follow Bill Murray Let's movies. follow, um, what is the name of the lead in that? Uh, Andy uh, McDowell? Andy McDowell. Let's follow Andy McDowell and go to Michael. Michael, the angel. She's in Michael, right? I'm an angel, man. With <laughs> Andy McDowell, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, you want to see my wings? You can't. It's under the coat. Yeah. Just remember what John and Paul said. The apostles? No, the Beatles. <laughs> I, you didn't realize that I was so so loosey goosey. You thought angels were uptight, but that's not the way it is, yeah, man. Yeah, like rock and roll. So, Michael, uh, am I first? Yeah, I bet you this uh, one won't be in there. <laughs> I go fifty-five. All right. Yeah, it's kind of bad movie. Um, she sings a song about pie. Forty-five. How about some pie? Forty-five. Like, nah, McDowell, you gotta sing a song about pie. These waitresses will dig it the most. Well, it came up with uh, the Hateful Eight and then a bunch of producers named Michael. Um, Click on the movies to get rid of all those people. Okay. Get out of here, people. People. Of course, Michael Clayton is what I assumed would come up. And it did. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this is it came up. Uh, oh, it did come up. Thirty-eight. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, you did well there. Yeah, yeah, I got seven points. What did you say? Fifty-five, and I said forty-five. Yep. Cool. Let's follow. Um, let's follow Travolta. Uh, I was gonna follow Travolta to Phenomenon. Ooh. All right, well, you go first. We're, we're just dallying with, like, ooh, will this one be in Metacritic? <laughs> yeah, just... I go first on this one? Bad okay. early aughts movies. <laughs> with, with, with uh, you know, that are all made by Scientologists or pedophiles. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's made by pedophiles. I mean, powder. Uh, that's what I was thinking of, but it's powder. Powder is basically just uh, justifying pedophilia. If you listen to um, Barry Crimmins. Um, so anyway, uh, phenomenon. 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 I never saw it. I did see uh, it. I saw Michael too. I think I saw them in the same year. I saw, I saw Michael. A, like a John uh, Travolta kick. Yeah, in fact, that's not even early odds. What I'm talking about, that's like '96 or something. Yeah, I think it's the same year as Michael, actually. Pheno- the only thing notable about Phenomenon is that Eric Clapton's "Change the World" is from it. Change the change the world. I would feel the sunlight in your universe. Okay, let's see what it is. Um, fifty. Forty-one. Okay. Brady made up space on that. 
He's just about going round and round town. All right, what should we do next? That's three movies. Um, uh, yeah. What? Who else is in Phenomenon? All right, it's who's in Phenomenon. Who's in Phenomenon? Who directed Phenomenon? Tell me that. John Turtletaub. Oh shit! Well, he's a shit director. He did uh, National Treasure. Oh. A lot of people like National Treasure. That's a terrible movie. I know. A lot of people like the... Uh, a there's lot a, of people? There's a third one coming out. Well, no, I know, like, of course, if you're, like, 14, it's like, this is the closest to violence I can see, like... Yeah, no, it's it's that kind of movie. Uh, Kira Sedgwick is in there. Kira, Kira Sedgwick, wife of Kevin Bacon. No, okay, we can go with almost any movie, then. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is Kevin Bacon's bacon number? Six degrees of Kira Sedgwick. <laughs> uh, what is Kira Sedgwick in, though? She's huh? most known now for that TV show, The Counselor. Wait, if I click on this, is it just going to show me all the scores? <laughs> it's probably going to show you the scores. <laughs> it, uh, it certainly does. And so we never did a Metacritical with Kira Sedgwick. And that is the greatest regret of my life. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that one. Oh, yeah, with her husband. Should, should we do the woodsman? Sure. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to go 70. I think that was decent. I haven't seen it, so I'm just going to rate it what I think the... Um, what I think uh, Snow White and the Huntsman got, because that's the closest thing I can think of. Well, one involves <laughs> a child in the woods. 64. And the, and the other one... Oh, there's about a pedophile. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, Snow White and the Huntsman, you know, has, you know, uh, Kristen Stewart getting all, like, natty dreaded up and dirty fat in the woods. Had he dried it up? Like, you know, <laughs> like leaves Bob getting Marley. in her hair and shit and, yeah. And dress getting torn and stuff. She's old. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the... Uh, so I think that got probably like a, a 65, you know, because you can't rate Kieran Knightley, Kristen Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart getting all gothed up in Snow White. Much lower. Uh, so yeah, I say 65. <laughs> okay. And then that was the scandal. She slept with the uh, married director of that film. All right. And, good move. Uh, <laughs> now it was bad for her career, but honestly, I've always said she's honestly, a who good the actress. Fuck cares who sleeps with who in Hollywood? She's coming back now, and she should have fucking probably won the Oscar for Clouds of Sils Maria this year, and wasn't even nominated. Well, Brady did better than me on that because it was seventy-two. All right, um, one more. I'm going to go with Snow White and the Huntsman <laughs> for okay. our last film. Since we've positively gushed about this film we haven't seen. <laughs> um, who's, is it my turn now? Yes. I'll go 53. I'm going to go 65. Obviously. Okay. Huntman did <laughs> no white in the Huntsman's Ketchup. 57. Okay. I think Brady squeaked it out by 27. Something. Uh, yeah, talk amongst yourself, and I will do this. So I was, um... I was, uh... I was thinking that, uh... My dog... Every time I put a little piece of trash in a garbage can that my dog thinks it's a treat I didn't give him. He must think he's a really bad dog because I put lots of little pieces of trash in the garbage can. Well, if there was a good dog to have this treat, we'd be able to use it, but we I can't. guess not. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, in second place. With you see that, bitch? Be a better dog. <laughs> yeah, I managed to peak the levels. That's good. Uh, you got 59. I got 36. 
Boston <laughs> makes me feel good. So didn't I say that I think you squeaked it out by 27? Uh, yeah, but you you were too hard on yourself. I squeaked it out by 23. Wait, 59. Oh, oh, I carried the one when I shouldn't have. Because in the second round, you did very well. I know. And then I, I, I thought Michael oh, was too yeah. good. Yeah. Never make that mistake. Critical. Fuck you. Fuck you. Always with Brady. the swears. All right, we got more to say about this movie here. We may. It may just be me repeating myself, but uh, but it's like I said. Hello there. We gotta reckon with it because to a lot of people, I I think if you asked a certain subset of people. Uh, Ghostbusters might be one of their favorite movies of the 80s. It's my it, second favorite movie of all time. Oh, okay. You're one of these people. Uh, but you only give it these a B+. Plus. Yeah. That's so, okay. That I mean, wh- how good I think it is and how much I like it are different things. Well, yeah. So, I, I, we're blowing no one's mind by saying this is supremely watchable. This is like uber watchable. Watchable in an uber. I don't know if millennials know that. I mean, this is like, well, I mean, we're millennials. Really? I feel like it's still talked about a lot. They made I, it into a video game. It's coming back as a, a female-only film. That's true. I, I think everybody's going to see the female-only one and then have no idea about the Bill Murray one, though. Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible, but that still seems like... It's one of the 80s films that has had a seriously lasting cultural imprint. Yeah, I asked, I asked Nora if, if she'd seen it, and she's like, yeah, I've seen that. I'm like, oh, good, because I was about to yell at you. She hadn't seen Star Wars until recently. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> like there, there are another couple films I can name like that. In fact, I think we've uh, Star Wars. Oh well, but just from the eighties in particular, like I Return consider of the this Jedi. Uh, <laughs> Ewoks. There's one sitting next to me right now. He's finally stopped barking. <laughs> but no, uh, oh, wait, this sorry, is like one of those up. movies, like uh, Back to the Future, I think, and Die Hard. That's very like of the eighties and yet like transcends it. I don't think it transcends it um, as much as those other films. The thing I wrote down is like, all right, if we're thinking about the eighties as cheesy, let's go with an analogy involving another thing. This that's is often a great cheesy. game that we could play. We could play. Has Nora seen it? Has okay. And I could interview her beforehand, and then then we could we could have to bet. Based on whether or not we think Nora's seen it, I like that idea. Let's yeah. let's go with or, that. Or I mean, or we could pick anybody, or like Grandy. Uh, but come... oh, but one one second. Yeah. Um, so let's take another very '80s genre, art, whatever, um, which is metal. So metal albums, right? If Heavy we, metal. If we compare the kind of cheesy blockbuster, well, not cheesy. That's too automatically judgmental. But the '80s high concept blockbuster, and compare it, analogize it to the metal album. I'd say something like Back to the Future or Die Hard is like the Guns N' Roses appetite for destruction that in spite of being... Or Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. As 90s. Yeah. And uh, not yeah, as good. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, okay, okay. showing my... That's <laughs> <laughs> still good. It's got November Rain on it. But no, Appetite for Destruction is like the exception to cheesy metal that proves the rule. It's like somehow manages to be that and yet be like, oh my God, like actually finds like beauty and is like actually a perfect work of art. I don't think Ghostbusters is that, but if it's something within 80s metal, I'd say it's like a Def Leppard album, which is like... like Twisted Sister. No, they suck. (laughs) Def Leppard. (laughs) Def Leppard's really, really good. I can't get with you on this analogy because I don't know enough about 80s metal. (laughs) Like, Ghostbusters is not interested in... What did you say instead of Twisted Sister? Def Leppard. I don't know if Def Leppard's that good. They, They actually, I think, are in their way legitimately good. And yet, I don't think they're that interested in, quote-unquote, transcending um, the cheesiness of their genre. So they kind of embrace it, which I think I feel like Ghostbusters kind of does. Slam. No, no, they, some of Def their music Leopard's is actually genuinely good. Band. Listen to a, go listen to Hysteria. That's okay, a, that's a genuinely good album. Okay, fine. It's no appetite for destruction. <laughs> I need to get Jed to argue with you on this. I'm just going to have Jed would, just argue with He would say it's a great with. album. He'd I know, be, but... But I just want Jed to be like, that's a great album, but you know it's a better album? Willie Nelson's blah, or, you know. And then, then he'd just come, and then he'd be like, we're talking metal only. And he's like, okay, how about these ones? And then, like, there would be a discussion. And then, like. <laughs> he'd say, you know who's a shitty metal singer? Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, now we can say he was mentioned in the podcast. Nice. Uh, all right, I'm done. Are you done? Yes. All right, let me let me look at my notepad here. Anything <laughs> okay. else? Anything else interesting? Um, I mean, I will Hitchcock once again. No. Uh, I've heaped a lot of praise on Murray here, and I do think he's the secret sauce. Uh, like it's hard to imagine this working without him. I don't think it would work really at all. But that said, let me give credit where it's due. Uh, the movie well, also. Would, I mean, yeah, no, no. Hold I mean, on, I'm getting to it. When I okay, because. What I'll also say is, like, yeah, he gets to be the rock star of this, and it wouldn't work without Murray kind of, like, poking holes in it and keeping it light and keeping it from becoming an actual serious, like, sci-fi epic or whatever. I mean, it's never in danger of being that, but of taking itself too seriously. But by the same token, only Bill Murray can be Bill Murray, and I applaud Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis for going kind of in the opposite direction because, uh, like, some of this ensemble is doing the Murray approach and kind of poking at it, but the other side knows that yeah, we also want to keep this kind of straight face. Like, this only works. You need a straight man and a comedian for things like this. And so enough of the players and know And a token that, black man. We have talked very seriously little about Ernie Hudson. Oh, yeah. And Ernie Hudson's awesome. Like, it, it does... Uh, I love this town! <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Without being, like, any kind of, like... Oh my god, like, the acting on this thing. It's very nimble. Everyone knows how they should be playing their roles. I, I feel like we need to append uh, to our plot synopsis and say that at the end, after they defeat the thing and help Louis Tolley and want to take a sample of his brain, and he says, okay, uh, Ernie Hudson covered in marshmallow sticks his hands in the air and goes, I love this town! And that's part of the plot, so we definitely... Like, oh, what did you that. mean by that? I mean, I love the kind of town where you can take samples of a nerd's brain. Yes! <laughs> exactly. Okay, so that's appended to the plot synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Go back and do it in your brain, because I don't feel like editing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Brady? What, what are we doing next week? Oh, yeah, that's what's next. Oh, yes. <laughs> um... I want to suggest uh, the Night of the Comet. I want to see the Valley Girls fight, <laughs> fight the rapists who survive after, also from 1984. The Night of the Comet, and then let's see, what What do I want to suggest? I'm going to suggest... Oops. Oh, that's okay. Oops. Oops. I'm just seeing what, what's been suggested on the website. Also, if you want to suggest something... Ooh, Ghostbusters was on here. Um, so I can remove that now. If you want to suggest something, it's pretty easy. You just go to our website and find podcasts and then Carnivorous Couch and then suggest something. I'm removing Ghostbusters because we just did it. But the only thing that's suggested up there right now is The Warrior's Way. Mm-hmm. Um, I will suggest... Live The Warrior's Way. Oh heck, this is taking up too much time. I'll I'll just I'll throw out that Greta Gerwig movie again, Damsels in Distress. I I'd be down, but we've kind of done two Greta Gerwigs on this. That's true. And she's only had three movies, right? Um, no, she's had other. She has another Bombach called Greenberg. With so four movies. Um, we're so really gonna give her seventy-five percent of her movies on a podcast. When there's so many other movies, I mean, like, I I love Greta Gerwig, and I think we should watch her movies as well, but I think we should space them out. Like, uh, we did... Okay, uh, we're going to run out. Yeah, we did Francis Hall in the 30s, in somewhere in the 30s, like, you know, 35 or 38, or I don't know, we could look it up, maybe it was 50s. No, no, we're in, we're, this is episode 56 right now. Um, So, I mean, we should not do one in, at 55, and then another one at 56... Seven. <laughs> Your point is well taken. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say uh, it's going to be hard to get me to vote for that one. I guess I got to defeat you by saying something else. I thought you um, said Night of the Comet. I did say Night of the Comet. You said that Greta Gerwig won. You got anything else? Um, Let's see. I'll. Uh... Good, the bad, and the weird. Yeah. N- yeah. Um, fine. You know, what? I'll just suggest like a classic then that I haven't watched. That's a good in a while. idea. 
Uh, Playtime. Playtime by Jacques, Jacques Tati. Uh, Does it have subtitles? Nope. No? Is, no, it, it's, is it in it's another barely, language and doesn't have subtitles? Um, that would really count against it. It'd I mean, hard, hard uh, to watch. Potentially it has like a subtitle or two, but it's almost like dialogue doesn't really matter. In fact, in that way, it's up your alley. It's a movie that's got like speaking, but it's more, the speaking is more noise. How about Eight and a Half? Uh, that's a great movie. Yeah, um, I will also suggest that. Okay. Got a bunch of movies out there. Yeah, they they made a lot of them. <laughs> they made a lot of them. Uh, what, 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 which one do you want to vote for? I'm going to vote for my own. Playtime. You're going to vote for Playtime, as opposed to the damsels in, in distress. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you convinced me to let that go. All right. Let's see. We got Playtime. We could do the warrior's way. We could do the good, the bad, and the strange. Or the good, the bad, and the weird. Sorry. Uh, we could do uh, eight, eight and a half. Or playtime. Or the night of the comet. Or night of the comet. That's a lot of movies. <laughs> yep, and most of them were nominated by me because you're too slow. Um, and as many movies as those are, that's just a small I'm gonna, fraction. I'm gonna say go with the warrior's way, so we can not have any suggestions on our list that we're neglecting. Okay, so if I've done playtime and you've done the warrior's way, then uh, see, this is why it's handy to have guests to break these ties up. Yeah, we're gonna have to do the one, two, three we're shoot have to thing do again. The one, two, three shoot. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you want evens or odds? I want evens. Okay. One, one two, two, three, three. shoot. Uh, odds. Playtime. No, you you took evens. We. Oh wait, I did. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> All right, Mandy, you win this time. Yes. Live the Warriors, I mean, live the, no, live the Warriors way next episode. That's what's going to happen. I don't have my window open to play the sound effects, so I got to keep talking till I can find them. I'm going to go ahead and click on the thing. What the fuck? It's not here. It's gone. It's just... Well, then, uh, we still got a couple seconds of air time left, apparently, Brady. Wait, why? Oh, because you're... Because I'm looking for the theme you're clicking? song. Yeah. Looking for the theme song, man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Three, two, one, Jed Hart theme song. goes here he fucked me right i take his ass to red lobster science is the most pussy rich profession ever